This is an audio presentation of God First Church, Cheltenham, England. A community of Jesus followers, worshipping God first, proclaiming God first, and together living God first lives. For more information, visit our website at godfirst.org.uk. About once or twice a year is, I mean, it's a little bit grand to call it a State of the Union. If you're from the States, you know what a State of the Union address is, where it's basically where the President uh, comes in uh, to the Senate um, and they all clap him in, whichever side of the party they're from, they clap him in and he gives a little address saying how everything's going. So uh, thank you, Paul. I do feel that you should clap me in this morning, but we will do without that. So what we're going to do is slightly different. I'm gonna, I am going to be using a passage because we like to uh, preach through a passage we, we think the Bible's got the authority here, not, not me or the elders. And so we want to preach through a passage. But what we're going to do is enter that passage. There's going to be a little bit of like, oh, this is where we are on our journey. Uh, we're going to get some people up just to talk a little bit about what their observations were as they joined us at different stages. Okay, so I'm entitling my, my, my talk this morning, All In. And I just want to say that if you've, if you've recently been to Trinity Church, uh, I meet with the leader, Andrew, from there. And, and I said, you know, we were talking and praying and said... What, what's, he said, oh, I'm going to do my vision, my, my kind of vision thing for, for Trinity Church, and I'm going to call it All In. And I went, we'd just been away, hadn't we, on a, 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 on a leader's day away, and we decided that what we were going to talk about was All In. So I just want to say, I, they haven't stole it from us, we haven't stole it from them, but it does feel like that that's the kind of cultural challenge at the moment, to kind of be all in, to be committed. Uh, and so that's what we're going to pick up. I'm going to read from some selected verses from Hebrews chapter 11 and jump into chapter 12, and then it's going to be a bit of a roller coaster. So let's read and then pray. The writer of Hebrews starts off in chapter 11, verse 1. Now faith is the certainty of what we hope for and the assurance of what we do not see. This is what the ancients were commended for. And then it goes to Abraham. It mentions another few before them. But by, by faith, Abraham, when called to go to a place, he would later receive as his inheritance, obeyed and went, even though he did not know where he was going. By faith, he made his home in the promised land, like a stranger in a foreign country. He lived in tents, as did Isaac and Jacob, who were heirs with him of the same promise. For he was looking forward to the city with foundations whose architect and builder is God. We'll pause there, and I'm just going to ask you, what city is that we're looking at? Quiz question. What city, it sounds like, you know, the quizzes that we have at the Lansdale, what city was he looking for? The city of... Not Jerusalem, but the New Jerusalem. Very close. The New Jerusalem. Okay, the New Jerusalem is... Oz. Okay. I thought that would be an easy one. Man, sorry, I, I wouldn't have done that. I wouldn't, if I thought it wasn't an easy, I would have never asked you if I was going to embarrass you. Okay, so that's the church. He's looking forward to the city, in the New Jerusalem, if you read the end of the book, uh, for the New Jerusalem, the city with foundations whose architect and builder is God. And then it jumps, verse 13 it says, All these people that mentioned in, this, in the chapter we've just picked out, Abraham, were still living by faith, 
when they died. They did not receive the things promised. They only saw them and welcomed them from a distance, admitting that they were foreigners and strangers on the earth. People who say such things show they're looking for a country of their own. If they'd been thinking of a country that they had left, they could have had the opportunity to return. Instead, they were longing for a, a better country, a heavenly one. Therefore, God is not ashamed to be called their God, for he has prepared a city for them. Therefore, since we're surrounded by such a great cloud of witnesses, let us throw off everything that hinders and the sin that so easily, easily entangles, and let us run with perseverance the race marked out for us, fixing our eyes on Jesus, the pioneer and perfecter of our faith who for the joy that was set before him endured the cross, scorning its shame, and sat down at the right hand of the throne of God. Consider him who endured such opposition from sinners that you will not grow weary and lose heart. Father, we thank you as we look at these verses in Hebrews. We look at how these guys, men and women, lived with a different perspective. They lived with a perspective of the future of your church, of your church coming down from heaven, of the dwelling place of God and man being together. And Lord, we do pray today as we look at the nuts and bolts of this church, and I pray more than that, you'd lift our eyes to new horizons, lift our eyes to new perspectives that we would live differently in Jesus' name. Amen. The world, as you view the world, what you see really matters. So uh, obviously, if you... If you lived, uh, uh, you know, five centuries ago, four centuries ago, what was over there, what was over the horizon, you know, was like you fell off the end of the world or, you know, there was there be dragons or whatever. And there's a sense of, you know, well, it looks pretty flat, doesn't it? That, that, that horizon looks pretty flat. But you all know, when you look at the horizon, does anybody think that the world kind of ends at, no, we don't, because we, we've seen the world from a different perspective. You know, I remember when I was a, a kid, about eight years old, probably before most of you were born, 1968, Apollo 8, went and uh, first man-made object to, to, to leave, the, leave the atmosphere, and it brought this brilliant picture back of the, of the blue planet, you know, that iconic picture of the world that's round. And it's interesting for people that we, we can live with, with an interpretation of the world, and we can live with a view of the world, but that when, when we get a better perspective, we'll say, oh, okay, I see that the world is round. Say yes, if you got me. Yeah, okay. So this idea of, 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 of paradigm, changing the way you view the world, is, is so, so critical. In, in the Bible, it's, it's this kind of sense of a heavenly perspective. And what we find with, with Abraham, that's a picture of Abraham, what we find from Abraham is that... Uh, he had this perspective. He had this big picture perspective. So Abraham, the story of Abraham, we did do a series. You can go back and listen to the excellent sermons on Abraham. You can listen to that. But basically, Abraham's story is that he's a pagan. He's living in a world that doesn't uh, care or think about God. And then God comes and meets with him and says, Okay, Abraham, I want you to move from where you are to this place I'm going to show you. He says Abraham didn't know where it was. It was kind of what we call Canaan or Palestine, now the promised land. And, and, and the writer of the Hebrews kind of describes that perspective that he had, that he moved. It says he lived as a stranger in a foreign country. He lived in tents. 
And you could say, oh, well, he lived in tents because that's what they did. Nomadic pastoralists, they lived in tents. But there was something about living in tents meant, meant there was, a, there was a, a sense where where he was living, even though he lived for a long, long time, wasn't permanent. That, that, that place wasn't his home because he was looking forward to something else. It says he's looking forward to the city with foundations whose architect and builder was God. He was, it says, the writer of Hebrews said, if, if he wasn't happy, he could have gone back to where he was. He could have gone back to, to Ur of the Chaldeans in, Canada, on the, uh, in what is Iraq. But he stayed because, no, he said, God has given me a job here on earth. And that job is determined by my view of the heavenly perspective. You follow that? that? So that's so important. If you're going to journey with that, and that, that big picture must be in the heart of us. So I think that if you, if you can't come to church and you come to church with a perspective that the world that we see is all there is and that, 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 that church is some kind of cultural addition and I know that was definitely as I was growing up as a kid that was how people saw the world. Church was like a little cultural addition that when, when you become a Christian suddenly your horizons are expanded and you say no, there's something much, much more significant going on. And that culture is really important. I don't know if you've heard the phrase, uh, culture eats strategy for breakfast. In other words, what, what we are and what we live and what we believe as a group of people is so much more important than what we try to do. And we think as leaders, we think, what are we going to do? You know, how are we going to we'll give people a goodie bag? How will that help them to, to join? We'll have a lunch. We have these plans for different things. You know, how, how are we going to do things? So we've got lots of strategy, and I'm going to talk about a few strategy things. But ultimately, strategy is not as important as how you and I and all of us see the world. That's so important to understand that what, what we do and what, we, what motivates us and what changes is, is how we see the world. If we see this world as temporary, now it's not that you don't live there, that you don't have a tent there, it's not important, this world is not important, we're not saying that, but actually if you have a, a perspective that actually this world is not all there is, that changes everything. So my, my uncle, uh, my dad's brother is a lovely, lovely guy. And he made lots and lots and lots of money. And he's not a Christian. And, and he's 90 now. And he knows he's not going to have enough life to spend all his money. And the sad thing is, he feels sad. Because he knows, if this is the end, what was it all about? I remember William Gladstone, a young man came to William Gladstone, the Prime Minister at the time, and said, I want to be a, a politician, I'd like to be a politician, and he says, great. And he said, I'd like to be elected into Parliament, he said, great. And he said, I'd like to be in the Cabinet, he said, great, what are you going to do after that? And he said, well, I'd like to actually be the Prime Minister, and he said, great, what are you going to do after that? And he said, well, when I've been the Prime Minister, I'm going to write my memoirs and sell my book and feel good about my legacy, and William Gladstone says, great, and what are you going to do after that? So this is William Gladstone, the Prime Minister. And he said, I think you need to go home, young man, and think about eternity. We need to go home and think about eternity. So as we do in this church, it is about eternity. We're doing our best. It's not the perfect church by any scratch, but it is about eternity. So I want to tell you briefly the story, and I want to mix a little bit of strategy and a little bit of culture. So we're doing a lot of things, but I know you're a good bunch, and you can, you can see what's going on here. So this, the church as we experience it started in Hester's Way, 
community resource centre on the uh, west part of Cheltenham. It was a funny, the top building, it's a funny L-shaped room. There was about 14 of us when we had our first, uh, our first uh, Sunday. If you were here on that very first Sunday morning, just wave your hands. Not many of us, eh? <laughs> there was only 14, so it's a small subset. You know, it's, you know, but, you know, there was 14 of us. We had 14 of us and eight kids. And, and, and once it's Naomi and, my family, uh, Naomi and our family, we'd moved. It wasn't like a big Abraham move. You know, we only moved from Manchester. We didn't know where Cheltenham was. I'd been a student here. It wasn't like, oh, you're going where you don't know. But there was that sense of, okay, I'm living for a bigger thing. It wasn't, this was my job, and there was a church that needed a, a pastor. And I thought, well, I'll just apply for the job, and off we go. No, we thought we're living for a bigger thing. We felt God called us to come back here, called me to come back to the town where I've been a student to, 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 to build a church. Not because there's no other churches here, but because we felt that God called us to build an expression of church that, we've, that, that is like your experience now. And then we were there for a year, but after a year we moved to Pate School. Um, and we, were, we did well. So we were, by that time when we moved, we were about 30 adults and 10 kids. By the way, when I mention numbers, it's just, we're not obsessed about numbers. Cause, but each number is a person. You know, so if we talk about being at a church of 50 or 60, each of those is people that are knitted in community. It's not like, oh, we just want bombs on seats. We're not about that. Basically, I'm going to get three people to come and say what they thought the culture was like of uh, God first when they joined. Tom and Lucy moved down from Worcester uh, and felt called to be part of us. Uh, we had dinner with them, and um, amazingly, they said, yeah, we'll come. So, um, so they've journeyed with us before we even started on Sunday morning. So, Lucy, why don't you just come give us two minutes. She's written it down. Well done. Two minutes. There's a microphone, please. Two minutes on what the culture was like. In other words, what's the soft stuff? Not like we met in an L-shaped room or any of that, but what's the soft stuff? Go ahead. Um, okay, so I just think in those early days... Um, it, there was just a real culture of faith, a real culture of excitement. I think partly because the majority of us had moved to Cheltenham to get this thing going. We just had such faith that God would grow his church. We were totally reliant on him uh, for all the details. Um, and there was just a real anticipation, I think, of what God was going to do. Um, and, and I think the other thing, because possibly... The majority of us had moved here. Just everybody was all in. You know, there was just commitment across the board. There was passion. There was vision. Um, and everybody just wanted to see God's church grow. So everybody was um, doing multiple roles within the Sunday, but also just outside that Sunday. Everyone was really committed to just live missional lives and reach neighbors and um, so, yeah, I think just in four words, I'd summarise those early days. Of, there was just this culture of faith, excitement, anticipation, and commitment. Great. They haven't been prompt, by the way. Please say, use the word all in. Okay, great, Lucy. So, it's interesting. Uh, Tim Keller, uh, that's a really interesting paper that we read as a leadership team. Tim Keller uh, led a church in New, York, in New York City called Redeemer. Great church, really good thinker. He says this about churches, about 40 attenders. Called it house churches. We didn't meet in a house, or we did to start with. House churches, about up to 40 attenders, grow in an organic way, attracting new people by their warmth, uh, their relation, uh, the warmth relationships and, and people connections. 
they find that newcomers, once they've been invited, come along and tend to continue to attend because they're befriended. In other words, what they say is, the church grew at the beginning just because we were really friendly. You know, and we didn't know anyone in Cheltenham, and so when people came, they thought, wow, this is, I, I love this church. Everyone's super friendly. You can connect. You get to go around to the pastor's house for dinner every week. That's what we used to do. <laughs> you know, and it was like this kind of friendly, connected type of thing. And so, and, and we grew. 2014, we moved uh, to the Parabola Arts Centre where we normally are based. And by that time, we're about 55 adults and fif- uh, 15 kids. So it's, it's been, it was fairly slow going the first four years, fairly slow go, uh, growth. Uh, but we had great community. About that time, Steve Moat, where's he gone? Steve Moat is holding a baby. Well, they're always at the back. Steve, about that time, Steve Moat, Steve's one of our elders. Steve and Joanna uh, moved and. Steve's going to say what he thought the culture was about four years ago. Uh, yeah, so um, four years ago when we joined, we, jo- we had a, um, a relational connection from the church in, in Bracknell, which is where we moved from. Um, and in terms of the culture that I think I felt when we joined God First, welcoming, absolutely massively, and most people say that, it just felt so enveloping. It felt like everyone was genuinely interested. It felt like really hard to get away from the coffee room at the end because people were chatting to you, going around their houses very quickly for dinner, um, the, the, the Bible-based um, kind of like heart of the church was really significant as well. We had um, two experiences of really big churches, and um, we came to this church, which is maybe like a tenth of the size of the one we were last at, and I just felt really fed, and I suddenly realized how unfed I felt my previous one, and I think that was just like this real um, pursuit of what the Bible says um, uh, to be true, uh, and that was really important. Um, and then the other big one as well is, is coming to a small church, having been in big churches, and I had great experience with big churches. A lot of people are like, oh, I've been really hurt by big church. Um, the one for us is, I, I just felt like coming here, like you can't really hide. Um, and we kind of recognised as we, as we came out. And in some ways that can feel quite scary, because it felt like, man, like if there's something going on in my life that um, I've been managing to keep hidden whilst I was at a bigger church, or like no one even recognised it, that can feel a bit scary. But I think the thing that I recognised was that these people just like, love you, it feels like we can't hide because we want to do this together, because we want to pursue God together, um, and uh, love church as well. Great, brilliant. So, it, I, I don't think we lost faith, you know, it's interesting, Lucy's saying at the beginning we had faith and community and a sense of all in, Steve's saying there was a sense of community, which is great, but there's also a sense of like, hey, we, there's space for you to grow and to serve, I love the fact that he said that we... Um, that we committed to teaching the Bible and, and living the Bible, living the gospel. Okay, so up to date. So I, I, this guy got a call late last night, <laughs> and I couldn't find a picture of you, Ben. So this is... This is I mean, you need to get on Facebook. He's got a picture on Facebook with him looking super cool, and I thought it could be anyone. Anyway, this is Ben, this is ben Gatley. Yeah, I've stretched out. You look really fat. <laughs> Actually, as, as you can see, he's very svelte, very, uh, very buff. Tell us about, you've been what, how long with us? Uh, just over a year. Okay. I'm glad I'm not wearing the same clothes, actually. No, no, no but, but you're in a field there. So you're, you're like, you're, just tell us what your observations were. Yeah, so we joined quite a big church uh, in September last year. Um, I think the main word for me would be uh, community. So uh, I would describe it like we moved house about four months ago from a semi-detached place to a terrace place and within a week we knew more people in our road because we were all on top of each other than we ever did in our old street and I think that's what it felt like for us moving here was that we kind of knew more people in a week than we had done probably in a number of years in our old church um, which was fantastic. Leading on from that I think accountability 
as Steve said, it's quite hard to hide here. Um, we recognised that we kind of needed to move to a church where that was the case. Um, so uh, whether that's in threes, in our G1C group, um, the church really wants you to be a part of something, be accountable to something, serve in something, be involved, and that's really good. Um, and the last word for me would be transparency. So uh, I think Howard's quite open about uh, his good bits of that. I think in terms of the church's money and how we spend it, it's a really open book, and I don't think that exists everywhere. Great. Thanks, Ben. Yeah, that, we'll come on to the, the fact that, that, that I've got good and bad bits later on. Okay. So it's interesting, culture changes, but community stays. And I want us to get bigger, but I don't want us to lose community. Because uh, one of our phrases that we talk in our Vision and Values Sunday is, it's not really church if you're not really friends. So one of the things that happens as the church gets bigger, people feel that their presence doesn't matter as much. So when you've got 14, it's like, I'm going to be there and turn up for everything. When you've got 120, you feel, well, okay, it doesn't matter as much that I'm not there. And in one sense, yes, you know, the thing still runs without you. But, but the, the, the strength of community is not just, oh, because we want more people. It's because actually God is a loving community. We've talked about that in a few weeks ago in 321. God is a loving community and he wants us to live in community. One of the things that we heard yesterday at the conference is that the enemy wants to isolate us. That's one of his tactics. So, you know, the guy speaking from Africa, and he talked about how lions chase down a herd, but if they can isolate one, a weak one, then they get that one. And so there's something, there's strength and security in community. It just doesn't mean you've got Facebook friends. It should mean you've got some real friends. Interesting that, that Ben spoke about threes. That's where we're just three of people of the same gender get together. Uh, and we pray and share life and, and get challenged and encouraged. I'm with a guy at the back called Paul Hunt, so he knows all my stuff, so I'll, I, I'm having to pay him large amounts of cash. No, he knows my stuff. He's challenging me, celebrates when good things happen in my family. You know, we cry when someone in our group, their father's diagnosed with cancer. We're in together in, in, in the trenches. Now, I can't be in a three with all of you, but you can find somebody who's, who's, who's similar age stage to you and just say, let's be in this together. Together. Let's express community. So we set some goals. I'm just going to touch these. I'm not going to, I'm not going to say much more about these, but I think it'd be good to say where we are. So we set a goal uh, that 18 months hold these goals now, I think. Uh, go. So we set a goal. Go. Go to send a church plant team to, by 2020 so that Andy and Vic Allen have gone. The, uh, the Kangs are in, in, in process. Uh, uh, David's job fell through, so we just need to pray for David as they move. And my son, Zach, uh, got a job. I just wanted to mention you, Zach. I'm really proud of you. Zach got a job, a proper job. First person in the Kellett family ever to have a proper job. <laughs> And uh, so he's got a proper job and he's moving to London. So that's good. And I think the fact that we've multiplied while we're still small is a sign of maturity. Do you agree? It says like, hey, we can give away our best. We fill the gaps. But hey, we're going to do that. We're still desperate to be on mission. We set a goal for mission to see at least 20 people. And you think, that's pathetic, 20 people. And it is, because I want to see loads and loads of people become Christians. But actually, so far, uh, this year, we've seen six people respond to the gospel. Uh, we're still trying to get, disciple them and work them through. Uh, but actually, there's some good signs. So we had 37 guests, non-church guests, to our um, take a closer look. And, and the guy, Lex, who works in Cape Town, works with lots of churches, equipping them in mission, he said, that is a big, big number for a small church like ours. 
So well done, those that invited their friends. I think a special shout-out to Sue and Tracy, who invited all their office. So they were all there. But none of them have come on 321 yet, so we keep praying for that. We had actually four unchurched guests on 321, and then three other people. So Sophie didn't lie. Three other people are not part of us. So if you want to invite your friends to 321, that can still happen. We're committed to seeing people saved here. We don't see enough of it. I'm sad about it. I pray about it. I want to be equipped about it. I thought it was great last week when people said, I want to be on mission. If you want to be in this church, you need to be on mission. We're not here to serve you. We're here to reach the lost, but, and then we'll serve you as we go. Okay, and then grow. One of the, this is the one where we're doing weaker start. We wanted 20% of, the, of God first involved in social justice work. We, please, we need to pray for a champion who's going to say, I'm going to take you here. And it's not the same area, but it's a kind of thing where Heather, where's Heather? Is Heather around? She's on kids, all the best people on kids. Uh, she's on, uh, on kids, and Heather just said, I want to start a mums and tots group. She had the idea, came to me, I want to start a mums and tots group. Now, she's not working with socially disadvantaged, unless you think Bishop's Cleave is socially disadvantaged. She's working in Bishop's Cleave with a mums and tots group, uh, you know, but she started from nothing. Uh, and it's been brilliant. We've got loads of mums and tots gathering. You can do that. Where after you, as Ben said, as Steve said, if you've got an idea and you, you think, I've got want to work with the poor, please come and tell me what you want to do. We will do our best to empower you to make it happen. But we need a champion on that area. It's an area that we're weak at. And then growth, just to give you an update, we wanted to say let's grow to be a church. 200 attenders. Not because that's the target, but because healthy things are supposed to grow. So there should be a graph. I had a very complicated graph, and Lucy said, too complicated. So these are the yearly averages. I, I do like complicated graphs. So in 2015, we were gathering about 80 adults and kids. 2000, it feels like we've made up the figures, doesn't it? 2016, 90. 2017, 100. Ooh, thankfully, it's... And then we've had a good year. So we're averaging, as we speak, about 119. So that's great. But we're trying to make some steps to uh, grow into that. So I'm just going to talk about a few. So I talked about culture, eat strategy for breakfast. These are some strategy steps. Let me just quote Tim Keller. It says, up to 200 attenders, a small church, which is between 40 and 200, which is about where you are, continues to build on the importance of relationship between the members of the congregation, but relationships with the senior pastor and key leaders tend to be a significant attraction to new people. I, I, find, that, I find that pressure that you judging the church on, on what I'm like. Uh, and sometimes, if, I, I feel if you get to know me, I, most people know me really like me, unless they don't tell me. <laughs> but, <laughs> but when you hear me preach, I'm, I, I'm quite in your face, deliberately, because I'm trying to move your hearts and move you to action. So, you know, if you can judge... Some people think, well, I can't be in that church. He's a little bit shouty. He's a little bit too energetic. I just never went to pastor college where they tell me to walk calmly. <laughs> you know, and... Speak quietly and slowly with authority. I'm sorry. But, you know, there's other guys who, and, and girls in leadership who are doing that. But, but I, know that that's, I know that that's significant to you, and we're doing our best to serve you. But I would say, if you, if you think, I'd like to get to know how to know me, Tom and Lucy, Steve and Joe, others in the leadership, invite us around for dinner. Yeah. You know, I'm, I'm good for dinner. <laughs> you know, invite me around for dinner, give me a couple of glasses of wine, I could be really friendly. <laughs> <laughs> sorry that was super self-indulgent I had an email from somebody saying I'm leaving the church because you're grumpy and I was like oh no sorry Whew. okay sorry self-indulgence I should have cut that out okay a few strategy steps 
Tim Keller again, this paper is super helpful. It said, it should be a given that one full-time minister, that, would be, that was me, cannot personally shepherd more than 150 people. I did get accused of not knowing all your kids' names. And it's true. But the question is, do you know all the, um, do you know all the visitors' names? So if you can quote me all the new people that have joined in the last six months, I will learn your kids' names, Okay. I didn't think of that, someone else did, but hey, never mind. It said, the, ta- the time will come when it's necessary to employ a s- second full-time staff worker. And it's essential that person must be able to aid growth by complementing the gifts of the senior pastor. So the obvious gap is we want someone really nice and friendly. No, I am nice and friendly, I'm overplaying that. But actually, we wanted someone, we wanted someone who, could, who could help to pastor you and equip you and be around you. So Christopher and Lorette, why don't you just stand up? Oh, yeah. We made that step this year. They're great, aren't they? Absolutely great. And I I think, you know, you fitted so well in. And and guys, you did so brilliant. We we raised some money to pay for his salary. We thought we were were going to be looking for the £10 of £2 behind the back of the sofa. We haven't touched any of it. Well done. We'll come on to that. But it's great. It's so good to have you with us. Brilliant. It's, It's part of our strategy to serve you guys better because we want to reach Cheltenham. Okay, you good for that? And then as we go forward, and this is something that, it's, again, Keller says between 120 and 200, which is kind of, we're right at the bottom end of that scale, the senior pastor needs to spend more time leading, preaching, and strategizing. And so the team needs, to be, needs more ab- administrative ability. Building and organizing teams is more time-consuming while the administration and communications, planning events, delegating, supervising, organizing volunteers become more important. Now, Christopher wasn't, org- wasn't employed to do that, and I'm, I'm not employed to do that, but that, the reality is when, when Vic went to London, our administrator left, and she was amazing. Ooh, nod if you thought Vic was the most amazing administrator. And don't nod if you feel like I can feel the friction now with the rotors are not quite as tight, the dial is a little bit bumpier, you know, uh, you know, and people say, oh, come on, Howard, you're not organized. And I think, well, I'm doing my best. And Christopher, you know, he's doing his best. But the reality is we need a space in there. So we've talked as leaders and trustees. And so don't come and all apply for the job now. I'm just telling you, this is what we're doing. We're looking for a part-time administrator. God first is looking to employ an administrator. The lowest. It's 12 hours a week at the start, because that's the financial constraints. It'll be around £10 an hour, so £120 a week. Um, what's that? £480 a month. It's not loads. Uh, it's not a full-time job by anyone's. We're looking for this. A person will possess... I mean, I've just basically thought of Vic and then just wrote it out. The person will possess a growing leadership gift. You've got to be able to lead people. It's not just about, can you, I can type and write emails. I can do that. Uh, with the ability to focus on communications, planning events, delegating tasks, supervising and organizing uh, volunteers, plus the ability to aid me with planning and strategy. So we're going to advertise that job uh, in the next three or four weeks. Um, one of the things, I was talking to a, really, a couple that have joined the church really recently, a nice couple, and they said, I said to them, you know, the, one of the things about advertising a job in church is that, it, you know, it's really hard to say, I don't think you're up for it. So we did have someone when we were advertising Christopher's job who came to me and said, I think God's called me to, to do this job. And I just didn't see it in him. And it was really hard. In fact, I had two people and neither of them are in the church now. So if you're going to think about applying for this job and we say, no, please don't leave. <laughs> you know, we want to get this right. Uh, it, it, yeah. So, you know, if you want a hobby, 
and you want to do administration as a hobby, great. But if you think this is something where you can call and serve, I'd love to, to hear from you, and we'll give you details about that. Moving on. Time's going. Um, good job I didn't have the timer. Uh, around 20, 200, says Keller again, church growth is the interplay between three vital parameters, team, facilities, and finance. If one of them is weak, it'll affect the life and growth of the church. Ultimately, the life and growth of the church is about culture, but I'm just saying there's some strategy stuff that matters. If one of them is weak, it'll affect the life and growth of the church. So much so that the church has stopped growing. It may be one of these areas or a combination that needs to be looked at carefully. Now, fine, team, we've just talked about, we've got Christopher, we're looking for a administrator. That's going to be the staff team. There's a wider team of leaders, but the team, and then there's uh, facilities. We haven't got any facilities. We're renting everything. And finance. Now, we're doing quite well on finance. So let me just give you an update on finance. We had a goal to give away 20% of our income by 2020. Everybody said that's stupid to give away 20% of your money. But the, interesting, the more we've given away in God's economy, the more our banks looked healthy. So I, it, that works for you guys. It doesn't say that you're going to drive a great car and you're going to get great holidays. You know, blessed be the name of the Lord when the sun's shining down on us, when all it should be, but also when, you know, it's tough and the roads might be suffering. It doesn't mean if you give it's going to be all hunky and great, but what it does mean is, you're going, to be, you're going to be managing your money rather than your money managing you. If you put God first with your money, uh, and that actually works on two levels, doesn't it? If you put God first with your money, then actually you're saying no to that more monster in our society that says, I'm living for now. Yeah. And we're doing great. So this is just, we've given three, we give 300 pounds a month to a church plant in the poor part of the Rhonda Valley, Tony Pandey, and we give 300 pounds a month to a church plant into Dar es Salaam, which is a hugely challenging environment, uh, and we're committed to supporting them long term. We give um, three hundred. We gave seven thousand two hundred to advanced church plants and to the teams uh, that are doing that. And we also give a thousand two hundred to three to one, which is an evangelistic organisation which we're stealing all their stuff to serve us. There's more and more stuff given around, but those are the headlines. We will give away more. I want us to start supporting some other church plants. But well done, everybody. We're doing great. We will get to 20%. And also, um, our income has increased. God first to increase its income by 20% a year until 2020. Our income is up by 20% in 2018. Thank you so much. There's tw- uh, it's good that Ben said we're quite open about this. We've got 28k in our vision fund, which was going to be Christopher's salary. But sorry, we're not giving that to you. <laughs> we didn't need it, so we've got that on our vision fund for what we feel as elders God has called to do. And we've got 33k in the bank, which is what the Charity Commission say we've got to have. That's about three months' operations. So we're doing good. If you imagine it kind of balancing a triangle, you need all those three things. You need to be able to balance those three things. At the moment, we're, weak. we're weakest on facilities. So what we took, we've gathered some leaders together, and what we think we're going to do is this. We're going to buy the Prabhla Art Centre for 18 million. No. <laughs> no, we're going to try and rent a little office. <laughs> no, so what we're going to do is we're going to try and... This, we looked at this one, and I thought, God, this is one. It came back on the market. Anyway, it's just gone. Frustration. But what we want is an open plan space that you can get about 60, 70 people in, that we could do a toddler group, another one, hopefully. Uh, we could do training courses. We could do our three-to-one, which is currently the holiday in. Our musicians practice at St. Paul's. We have our offices at St. Paul's. Thank you, Roger. Uh, we have our prayer meetings in people's houses, our social justice activities, 
uh, well, they don't exist, but we'd love to have a base to launch all those. And even downstairs, even though our barista's moving to London, I'm sure there's other baristas who could run a great coffee shop. Uh, and we've talked about that as, as, as leaders. We had about 30 people in the room, and everybody unanimously said, wouldn't that be great, eh? To like, feel like finally we've got a home that isn't my home or Tom's home, <laughs> or Paul, Paul and Molly's home, where we actually meet somewhere that's ours. Would that be good? Yeah, so, so we're going to look for that. Uh, we're not going to rush because we don't want to get the wrong one. It's probably going to cost us about 30k a year. So it's almost like taking on another staff member. So it's a big deal. Uh, and we may need to use our vision fund to get going. So the 28k that's in the vision fund might be a starter. But we're going to have a special offering. Thankfully you're here. Not this week. But you can start to give. I know some people give to the vision fund as well as their other giving. You can do that. But we're going to have a special offering when you've paid your credit card bills for Christmas in February. Okay, so we might look for it now. We might look for the building now, use the vision fund, but we're going to say, hey, guys, that would be great. Okay, enough on strategy. Let's just let's j- jump into culture. I am nearly done. Okay, I lied slightly. I've got about 10 minutes. Okay, I really want an all-in culture. So we've got those strategy steps, but those strategy steps will be empty. Extra administrators, extra staff people, buildings, uh, you know, it's all empty unless you guys say, I'm really all in on this. Unless you say, I'm really all in in this. Winston Churchill, 1936, the, the Second World War is starting to, 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 to brew, and there's a kind of appeasement is happening, and everyone's saying, no, it's not going to happen. Hitler's just kind of, he's just having a bad day, you know, he's just gradually joining the German people together. This is not going to happen. And he's basically saying, we cannot just sit on the sides and twiddle our thumbs, Great Britain, Obviously, we need the United States to help us out in the end, but let's pretend that we did it on our own. Uh, but it says that the era of procrastination, of half measures, and soothing, baffling excuses or delays is coming to a close. In its place, we're entering a period of consequences. God first. I know that sometimes we've said, oh, that time, that event was like the 3 to one doesn't fit with me, or that was a bad event, or I can't find a group, and all that. And I'm, I'm saying there's all those reasonable excuses, but actually we're, we're entering a period of consequences. In other words, what I believe that we're going to do as a church is suddenly going to become much, much more significant. I feel God has spoken to us prophetically that that's going to happen, and, and I know, as I've been around church, that we are ready to be in a period of super significance. So, but but that will mean that we need everybody on deck. What happened after, after the war was, it didn't say, well, let's just wait for America. Every person in Britain was mobilized. We've got to fight this battle. Terry Virgo, who started the, 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 the big movement that Advance came out of, he said, and it was quoted a few times at the conference, that the, the Christian life is not like a battle. It is a battle. Guys, we're on a battle to see this world change. Secularism is not going to stop. It's going to keep pressing and pressing and pressing, and we have to say, I am all in to see, the, see it pushed back, to see the kingdom of God advance in your workplace, in your street, where you live. It's, it's a time for excuses. is over. It's time for consequences. Let's push in. So I want to see in this church a growing culture of passion. Hebrews 11, I've read it earlier. By faith, Abraham made his home like a stranger in a foreign country. He lived in tents, for he's looking forward to the city with foundations whose architect and builder is God. Guys, it's okay to buy a house. 
It's okay to buy a house. It's okay to do up your house. When we moved to Manchester on a church plant, I did up every room. I had energy to put in fireplaces. I had time to paint the walls. I had time to change the bath to make a bigger bath. I did showers. I did loads of DIY. And that's okay. But I didn't think this is my heavenly home here. I'm not creating heaven on earth. You know, this isn't Shangri-La that I'm creating in my little terraced house on my street where the Gatleys live, whatever. You know, it's okay to have a house. It's okay to have a job. Of course it is. It's okay to have a family. But people, Jesus says, unless you leave homes and wives and families to follow me, you're not worthy of me. You think, Jesus, that's awfully extreme. No, he just knows this is the time for consequences. This is the time to get perspective. So, you know, let's enjoy it. But let's not just say, sorry, I can't be around church for six weeks because I'm redoing my boiler and central heating system. Okay, your boiler and central heating system needs dying, but also the world needs winning for Jesus. So we need a leadership culture. It's interesting that Steve and Ben both mentioned this. Uh, This is a different one. Kerry Newhoff says this. If a church is to push beyond 200, it needs to release more volunteer leaders. Leaders who lead other people. Not merely doers who lead themselves. We've got some good doers. We've got a lot of people on Rota. Thank you, thank you, thank you. But leaders thrive on having a team of people to lead. They love it. Doers would rather worry about themselves and their specific assignment. If you only have a team of doers but not leaders, your church will struggle to grow. Guys, God's gifted you. Some of you with leadership, some, everybody's got something, a part to play. Everybody's got a gift. If you're a leader, we want you to step up. We want you to DIY your house, raise your family, and serve God. Please, it's not either or. You can do both. And Now, I know some of you have really huge jobs in your way and your pressures are massive. And I'm not, I've never had a, a really, really pressured job. <laughs> you know, okay, I was a school teacher and I've carried weight. But, so I know what it's like to balance it. And I know there are some circumstances where you just think you can't get to stuff. And I understand that. But I'm just saying, please, would you be all in on with us on this mission? If you're a leader, when, when, when I ask you, the answer's got three letters, not two. Now it's, it's yes, I, Howard, I'd love to. Yes, I'd love to. Please, I'd love to. I want to lead a group. We are short of group leaders in this church, but we're not short of leaders. God always gives you enough leaders. We've got enough leaders sitting here. You might have even walked in the door this morning. Welcome. We need you. If you're a leader, please. We need more group leaders. We need more people to run groups that are focusing on mission, building community, making disciples out there. If you want to do that, because we can't get people in groups because we haven't got enough leaders. And you're out there. Please, please, please say yes. Realize the world is not flat but round. God is in charge. We need a culture of faith. I love Martin Luther King. This, this is one of my go-to quotes. I've got one for Martin Luther King and Francis Drake, and then we're nearly done. Pretty impressive, eh? Okay, so Martin Luther King Jr. I read his autobiography, which is actually written after he died. Work that one out. But it's made out of his letters. Made out of his letters and writings, and I found this quote some years ago. He says this. As a young man, he didn't wait until his, all his ducks were in a row He said, as a young man, with most of my life ahead of me, I decided early to give my life to something eternal 
and absolute. Not to these little gods that are here today and gone tomorrow, but to God, who is the same yesterday, today, forever. Do you believe that Martin Luther King punched a hole in history? Do you want to? You might never get your name written, but I want to. I want to. I'm saying in the cars, I'm driving home. You know, we want to believe that what we do matters. What you do with your time matters. Yes, you're pressured on the hospital ward, and, and man, that's huge pressure. Or you're pressured in the classroom, or you know, you're pressured in what you are, and I get that. But where you are on the hospital ward, in the classroom, in your street, you want to punch a hole in history for God, eh? If you want to just attend, you can. But I'm after you. This is a great quote. Disturb, this is Sir Francis Drake, 1577. It's a great quote. Disturb us, Lord, when we are too pleased with ourselves. When our dreams have come true. Oh, we got a church. When we've, because we have dreamed too little... We have arrived, because we've dreamed too little, we've arrived safely. Because we've sailed too close to the shore. So the world is flat, we're safe. Stay close to the shore. We've dreamed too little, we've arrived safely. Disturb us, Lord, when the abundance of things we possess. We've lost our thirst for the waters of life. And for, having fallen in love with life, we've ceased to dream of eternity. And in our efforts to build a new earth, we've allowed our vision of a new heaven to dim. Disturb us, Lord, to dare more boldly, to venture on wider seas where storms will show your mastery. When we're losing sight of the land, we find the stars. We ask you to push back the horizons of our hopes and to push us into the future in strength, courage, hope, and love. Man, that would be a great speech, wouldn't it, for an inauguration of a president. Do not ask what you can do for your what your country can do for you, but ask what you can do for your country. Disturb us, Lord. I, I, why am I reading that? Because that's me. I've become too comfortable with my staff. I've become too comfortable. I think, well, I've done church. I've got a job. It's all fine and, and dandy. But guys, we're going to risk some more. Would you like to? Yes. yes, let's do it. Okay. We're done. Last two slides. Seriously. You've got to finish here, eh? It's not just motivational speaking. Hopefully, it's actually there's something more powerful at work. If we want a culture of faith, yes, a culture of leadership, yes, a culture of all in, yes, then we've got to understand the cross. The writer of the Hebrews finishes off his brilliant chapter on all the people that have trusted God and pressed out into d- deep waters for him. He says this Let us throw off everything that hinders. And the sin that so easily entangles. We've got to throw them off. We ain't going to get it done if we're not holy. If we're no different from the world out there, we've got nothing to say. We've got to live like, what is it matter with you? So there's a guy who came on 321 and he was talking to a guy that Lex that did the dinner. And he said, I just don't believe in the supernatural realm. And Lex said to him, so don't you think that it's just amazing coincidence that everyone at God First is like really nice. That's supernatural. The fact when people see your lives, Jesus let, let, said, let them see your good deeds that they may praise your Father in heaven.
We've got to throw off sin and we've got to get rid of those things that easily entangle us. We've got to throw off the sin that so easily entangles. And let us run with perseverance. It takes effort to build church. Fixing our eyes on Jesus, the pioneer and perfecter of our faith, who for the joy set before him, he saw, he knew there was a different perspective. He wasn't there to build a kingdom and a palace and an army and, and, and that. He was here to build a church that would make an eternal difference for the joy. That was the joy. We were the joy. For the joy set before him endured the cross, scorning its shame, and sat down at the right hand of the throne of God. Band, why don't you come back? We're going to break bread together. Jesus was all in. There's no question, as he came and lived amongst us, as he came and, and gave his life for us, he was all in. We're to image him. Jesus, on the night he's betrayed, he said, uh, but he took bread and broke it and said, this is my body, given for you. He gave it all. Gave it all. Because he knew the power of the gospel to change your life. To lift your eyes above the day today and say, I'm living for a better city, a better future. He gave his life to set you free from the sin that so easily entangles. He said, come, take, eat. This is my body, broken and given for you. And it says, after supper, he took the cup. He said, this is my blood. Blood represents life. This is my blood shed for you. He poured out his life. And he asks you to do the same. He asks you to do the same. And when Jesus spoke about, I'm the bread of life and, and all that, it says actually lots of people decided they didn't want to bother. Lots of people said, Jesus, this is too hard a bar. And I, I want to set the bar Jesus high. I want to set the bar Jesus high. So actually, he's after you all of your life. German philosopher William bon, uh, Dietrich Bonhoeffer said, when Jesus bids you come, he bids you come and die. So when you come, if you're a Christian this morning, come and say, actually, I take his body to give my body. We had it earlier. You're not your own. You're bought with a price. Your body doesn't belong to you. When you drink the cup, you say, I give my life because he gave his life. And that culture will change your university, your workplace, your family, your town. And ultimately, God promises the nations of the world. That's the mission we're on, people. And we've got to give ourselves for it. Amen? Amen. Let's do it. For more information, visit our website at godfirst.org.uk.